helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. Ah, yes, we are coming to you from San Antonio, Texas. This is the broadcast of leaders by leaders for leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation, folks. Just moments ago, I left the stage. Summit day one has concluded. It was a phenomenal day, and we're going to bring you most of the day. Now, we're going to give it to you in short doses because, honestly, I don't think you folks can handle it in its entirety. Dave Ramsey led us off. Chris Hogan followed. Then Alan Mulally, the former CEO of Ford Motor Company, joined us on stage. Yeah, we're going to give you excerpts of those three gentlemen's talks. So that's just enough to make you decide, I have got to get to Summit. It is just an unbelievable event. Also, we're going to give you Summit attendee testimony. What are they experiencing? What are they learning? We'll let you listen in to one attendee. And of course, you know we're going to bring you free resources specifically from our Entree Leadership team. Well, as I said, Dave Ramsey opened up our day. The theme of the event in San Antonio this week is draw a line in the sand. I want to set this up for you because uh, Dave talked about this, but if you know San Antonio history, you know that the Alamo is just miles away from where we sit now. And Colonel Travis, as he was exhorting the men to decide, you either leave now or we will soon be surrounded by Santa Ana and his army. He literally pulled out his saber, drew a line in the sand and said, if you're with me, step across this line. What a wonderful metaphor for leadership. And Dave kicked us off so powerfully as he always does. Here is just a bit of Dave Ramsey's opening talk from the Entree Leadership 2018 Summit. Wow! Absolutely incredible! Woo! Man, oh man, have we got a week ahead for you. Absolutely incredible. This is an event. This is an event I would come to if it wasn't my event. <laughs> right down the road here is a, a sacred place. It's called the Alamo. Have you ever heard the phrase, draw a line in the sand? When I was a kid, I didn't know where it came from, but if you were on the playground in the neighborhood I grew up in, you drew a line in the sand, step across that line, that's about time you get your nose bloodied. Somebody's going to reach over and black your eye or bloody your nose. Maybe you didn't grow up that way, but I was a redneck kid, and that's how I grew up. You draw a line in the sand, it's a big deal. And uh, that story actually, if you didn't know, comes from the Alamo. I didn't know that until recently. And if you cross that line, you are joining forces or you are picking a fight or both when you cross a line that's drawn in the sand. Colonel William Travis, in the heat of the battle, he knew that there were a thousand Mexican soldiers outside the Alamo and there were only 200 people inside the Alamo and it didn't look good. As a matter of fact, they were pretty sure they were all going to die and they were right. The women and children were spared, but the men were not. Legend has it, and uh, this was the witnesses, the ladies that survived and so forth told the story that in the middle of that, when it looked the bleakest, Travis pulled out his sword, one that looks pretty much like that, actually. That's the same vintage around the same time, early 1800s. And he stepped and drew a line in the sand. 
And he said, those of you that are willing to fight for freedom, that are willing to give your lives for freedom, step across that line and that will symbolize that you're on this team. No shame if you don't, but it's time for you to go because the rest of us are going to give our lives for freedom. Draw a line in the sand. And as legend says, and it's accurate, I'm sure, they all stepped across the line and the Alamo sacrifice that was to become the battle cry for Texas's independence, remember the Alamo was born with draw a line in the sand. So that's going to be our theme. Not that you have to give your life to something, literally, but when we're running a business metaphorically, we pour ourselves out for it. We get her done. We get up, we leave the cave, we kill something, we drag it home. We fight, we scratch, we claw, even when nobody understands. And we draw a line in the sand, and with our team, we say, you're going to be on this side? So that's what we want you to do this week. We want you to draw that line in the sand and say, I'm going to learn how to lead at a different level so that my team understands that there's a line, and you're either with me, or as we say in Tennessee, you're again me. That would be how Davy Crockett would have said it. Again me. Against me. You're on my team or you're not. And then I'm not going to worry about it. And your team can turn their back and trust you because you're worthy of trust. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of Dave there. And next we had Chris Hogan. Let's get right to it. Chris really challenged leaders on one key question. How do you get your team to care for your company like you care for your company? How do you get your team to act like you act? What a wonderful couple of questions, and he gave the answer. Here's just a bit of Chris Hogan's keynote. Battle is necessary. Now, as you look at this and you think through, we have many areas of our life that we can battle. Like, how many of you are married? Ever had a battle? Looking at this as parents, you all know we defend, we battle. We battle against our kids and we mostly battle for them. They don't understand that. We're in a battle for their lives. That's why we do what we do as parents. But looking at this, I want to talk with you because too often times in business, we're unaware that a battle is necessary. We, we forget. We think everybody just naturally thinks like us so we can get frustrated and irritated at times. But focused people are different. They are. They're wired a little bit different. You all are wired different. That's why you're here. And I just want to give you some, some ammunition, some things to go back and really be intentional as you work with your team on so they can join the mission with you. See, too often times as leaders, we get so intentional and so focused, we forget that we have to bring some people along. You see, that, that, that mindset as leaders, we tend to overlook some stuff and we'll turn a blind eye and just hope everything's going to work out. I don't want you to do that anymore. Matter of fact, today I'm giving you your permission slip. You don't need anybody's permission to stand up and battle for your business. You've worked too hard. You've sacrificed too much. And so walking through this, I want you to understand there's a few things you need to do. First and foremost, you need to invite your team to join the mission. You see, we have these expectations in our minds as leaders, but let me tell you something. An expectation that never gets communicated it's, it's not the same. There's actually a name for that. An expectation that doesn't get communicated is called a thought. 
And we've had so many thoughts to ourselves that we never end up communicating to our team member of how we expect them to perform, how we expect them to act, and we muzzle ourselves as leaders. No more. You see, that expectation that you have, if it doesn't get communicated, it ends up frustrating you because things don't change, but you actually end up alienating your team member because you don't give them an opportunity to step up. Make sure that people are trained. Talk with them about what you see things becoming. Don't be scared to share that vision with them. Identify the goal, but do me a favor. Tell them their role in the goal. The next thing I want you to do is also make sure, make sure that you pass on motivation. The team is watching you, leaders. They're watching you and they're watching your example. Are you coming in on Monday just ho-hum? It sets the tone. Like you all are all sitting there looking at me up here right now. I'm on the stage. But in your workplace, every day you're on the stage. What you say, how you say it, what you don't say, the way that you look at them, they're all watching you to see, and they're thinking this, does he or she believe in me? Does my leader think that I can do this with them? Am I worth it? So involve your team in the mission. Involve them. Let them feel a part of it. Let them understand what it is you're doing. Listen to me. Let them do their jobs. Don't micromanage them, but on the other side, don't don't isolate them. But if you've hired the right person and given them the right skill set, please let them do their job. So the shift of this, it can change things. Like you need to make sure your team understands their value. But you've got to get the right people with the right skill set on the right seat of the bus. Because when you do, it makes a difference. And see, you get people around you that have that kind of mindset that aren't scared of a battle. Watch what happens. You start to look at things totally different. Does your team know you have their back? Do they know it? If we were to ask them, what would they say? Would they say they have no doubt that you have their back? Better question to you leaders. Do they have yours? You see, loyalty is one of those things that can't be purchased, my friends. It has to be earned. Now, you know us here at Entree Leadership, we're tactical. So I'm about to give you four tactical steps to create team buy-in. It's in your workbook. The first one is have a conversation. I want you to sit down and talk to each team member individually and talk with them. I want you to look at them in their eye. I want you to communicate with them, not at them. And I want you to talk with them. Explain the mission. Give them the details. Talk about the things that are going to be tough, some things that are going to be difficult, and talk with them. After you talk with them, you you also want to make sure they understand how they fit into the goal. Everybody needs to know that they play a role, and it's so important. So have the conversation. Next, repeatedly discuss the mission and vision and direction of the company with all the team members. I hope you're having a staff meeting. I hope that the team is able to hear directly from you to hear your heart. We do this every Monday at Ramsey Solutions. We have an opportunity not only to hear from our CEO, Dave, but also other leaders in the company. It helps to keep everybody on the same page. It helps us to be able to talk about and be reminded. And know this. Now, listen, I'm going to give you a few questions. Check this out. You need to ask yourself, are they in as you have that conversation? Next, you need to ask yourself, do they fit in? Third, are they bought in? And finally, are they willing to join in the battle? Do they truly believe in what you're doing and the service you provide? The best way to find out is to ask them. Ask them and then watch them. 
Watch how they interact with other team members. Are they halfway in, meaning they like the paycheck, but they don't really believe in the mission? Find those people and see if you can get them all the way in or you need to get them all the way out. They're undermining what it is you're trying to accomplish. Please do me a favor and don't allow loyalty to destroy your unity. Too often times we'll let people hang around just a little bit too long because we don't want to make any changes and, well, they're not really causing a ruckus. I'll give you that. Maybe they're not causing drama, but are they giving you progress toward the goal? Are they what you need to get done what you said you wanted to get done? And I know these are tough questions, but you and I know you didn't sign up for easy. We signed up for significance. That's why you're doing what it is that you do. We've told you all for years in Entree Leadership, as a leader, to be unclear is unkind. And I don't want you to be unkind people. You're not unkind people. But we can get so comfortable that we forget. Comfort is not what we're looking for. We're striving for progress. You see, you can't tiptoe toward progress. But I tell you something, a timid leader gets on my nerves. Tiptoeing around and worrying about what people think. And, ooh, are they mad? Or listen to me, make a decision. Do you want to be popular or do you want to be effective? See, if you're popular, you want to get the popular vote. You want everybody to love you, and you don't ever want to say anything that's going to ruffle any feathers. It's a popularity contest. But if you're a leader that chooses to be effective, you do what's necessary when it's necessary. And you're not worried about it. You're not intentionally trying to harm people, but we're going to get things done because the business is bigger than one individual. And I don't care if you've got a rock star or an all-star. The team can't ever think that one person is bigger than the business. It can't be. When you say that no one's bigger than the mission of the business, it helps everybody start to realize that they serve a key role. And it changes the spirit. The fourth tip for you to get your team to think and care like you, stand by your decision daily. Stand by it. Make the decision before you get out of the vehicle. This has to be an all-the-time thing. You see, I think as leaders, we have to decide to deal with whatever doubt comes, to deal with whatever obstacle comes. Why? Because we adapt and we overcome for the sake of the mission. The mistake you made in 2012, the thing you didn't get right in 98, the thing of the other day that you didn't do quite well and you're holding it against yourself. Do me a favor, my friends. Let it go. You see, old hurt will just do new harm to your new day. If you won't let go of some stuff yourself, that means you're also holding on to some stuff against your team. And so do me a favor for you, because I know you've made some mistakes. If you have, welcome to the human race. It means you're human. But I want you to decide this week that there's some things you're going to let go of that you're not taking back with you to the airport. We're not taking it back into the office. We're just going to let it go and begin to have a new slate this day. Who are you standing with? Who's got your back? You see, this battle stuff isn't easy. This stuff we're doing, you've got people's lives that are looking at you and they're waiting on you to take them somewhere they've designed to go. And I firmly believe the right leader with the right mindset can make changes in people's lives. You all have heard me say it. A good leader can help people get better at their job, but a great one can help people get better at their life. Help your people. Help them to see and think differently about what's possible. I don't know where they come from. I don't know if they've come from broken homes. You don't know. You know the backstory of the people you're battling with. Get to know them. 
support them, walk with them through whatever it is they're going through. Don't expect them to all be sunshine and roses. People have real life happening. However, when you have a real leader that's walking with you through that, people know they can get through it. They know something can happen and a difference can be made. What are you showing your team? What are you showing them and how to deal with in tough times? Are you giving them a skill set they can reach out and use? Or are you just talking and giving them some air? You see, you as the entree leader, you set the example. Let them see you deal with tough stuff. Talk with them about the tough thing you're walking through. It gives them confidence. It allows them to build the muscle, to be able to get stronger and understand what it is they've got to do in tough times. They're saying they put the stake in the ground that this is a place that they're going to defend, even if it costs them their lives. But I love the symbolism of it. The fact that they were willing to take that stand, like it's put the nail in the ground, this is what I'm going to defend. This matters this much to me. And to be able to see hundreds of them lined up across to defend their turf, it's strong. What are you defending, my friends? Are you willing to defend? Do the people on your team understand what it is you're calling them to defend? Because at some point we have to make a decision. We have to decide, are we worried about being popular or do we want to be effective? And are you truly going to to safeguard and protect your business to the point that you're willing to put a stake in the ground? Don't be worried about if it's easy or not. No one ever told you that journey was going to be easy. Matter of fact, if you were searching for easy, you wouldn't be in business. Business isn't easy. But I have to tell you something. If you work with the right people, focused on the right mission, I'm telling you, it is purely worthwhile. And you know there's some naysayers. You've got people that doubt you. You've got people that are thinking, oh, you're not going to be able to do it. And I simply use it as fuel. Because you don't doubt me. Because I know the effort that I'm going to bring. Because I know the people that I love. And so hear the doubt, but don't let it sink into your heart. Stay focused. Stay intentional. Look in and understand clearly what it is you're chasing down. Because a great leader with the right people can be unified and can accomplish anything. You just have to make a decision. So I want you to make a stand, to make a decision, to be able to stand for the things that matter most to you and your team. But do me a favor and invite the team to come with you. Because I'm going to tell you something. A cloudy leader is a dangerous leader to a team. Don't be cloudy. Be crystal clear and invite the team to come along. And you can do the very thing that people are saying you can't do. I think if you take a stand with the right resources and the right attitude, listen to me you can make the impossible possible. So make a decision, take a stand, and do me a favor, do the best you can. Here we go. God bless y'all. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Andre. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't you just listen to Chris Hogan all the time? Unbelievable stuff, as always, from Chris. Well, you know, if you've been listening to this program for any amount of time, that we love to give you testimonies, stories, real-life solutions from people who listen to this show, the very people that we do the broadcast for. So we're excited that we got Derek Evans 
in the sound booth here in San Antonio. Uh, he's the president and co-founder of Project 615. He's also an all-access member, and he's been to multiple Entree Leadership events. Actually came with us, uh, if you will, from Nashville, Tennessee for this event. And Will, the producer, sat down with Derek. Here's just a bit of his story. My name is Derek Evans, owner of a company called Project 615 out of Nashville, Tennessee. We're a t-shirt and apparel company. We're retail-based, so we have two retail stores in Nashville, Tennessee, primarily Nashville and Tennessee and music-based t-shirts and apparel. Yeah, I've been listening to uh, Entree Leadership since day one. We got into business about 2010, but it really took us two or three years to get started and I'm not exactly sure episode one when that date was, but I know immediately being obsessed with it and we were like, oh man, we got to listen to this. This is super helpful, trustworthy information for us. And so we were just like, we implemented all the stuff immediately. So it was really cool. We've got 25 people on payroll. I've actually brought three of my key leaders here to Summit. So first time doing that, which is really exciting just because to be able to pour into my team and invest in them is something I'm really looking forward to. Last year at Summit in Orlando, I remember looking at each other several times when there would be any type of conversation or talk about hiring and firing and culture. And so we were kind of at a crossroad then where we wanted to get rid of a couple people and hire a couple rock stars. And so that was really kind of the tipping point for us with Summit last year where we decided to, hey, we got to really make culture a big deal. And so we got rid of a couple people and uh, hired three or four people really throughout the year that has really just kind of been a game changer for our culture. So I've got three people with me and they're all fairly new. They've all been here less than a year. So yeah, it's just one of those things you're just like really excited about because I know how much this conference means to me and to be able to pour that stuff into my key leaders is huge. All this stuff is kind of foreign to me, just really investing into people, especially spending a good amount of money on people to invest in them. So for me, it's one of those things that's like, well, I never really had a leader that really poured into me, so how can I be that leader for my people? You know, I want to create an environment where I'm adding value to them, both professionally and personally. And so I want people to walk away at the end of the day and go home to their families and just be like, wow, like that was a great day, rather than this was just a day that I wasted another day of my life. I want people to laugh, to cry, to just really be encouraged and to grow, really, just as people and not just professionally. The great thing is that the three key leaders that I brought with me are learners and, you know, they're rock stars. And so I actually texted them this morning. I was like, hey, every night at dinner, we're actually going to do some takeaways and we're going to begin implementing these things that we're learning. What can we add to our company? What can we get rid of? And what are some things we need to revise in the company as well? And so I'm asking them to kind of be proactive while the speakers are on stage and write things down. So when we go back to Nashville, back to the office, where we can immediately begin implementing these strategies. I have a friend here who's a business owner back in Nashville, too, and I was, spoke to him privately. I said, man, I looked around at my three key leaders that are here with me, and I was like, I'm really excited these people are here because these are the people here that have more responsibility than most at the company and to be able to take them outside of the company for two, three, four days and really pour into them, invest in them. I know they're going to implement all these things that we learn. Dave said this every year at Entree Leadership. He said, take a look at your team, visualize your team. And he says, if you would to rehire all these people, would you do that? And if the people that you wouldn't, why are they still on your team? 
And that is huge for me. And I know my team this year is going to be asked the same question and we're all going to make some hard decisions. So I think my takeaway for that is I know that question will probably be asked again this year. And so instead of me making that decision on my own, I want to, as a group with my key leaders that are here with me, let's all make it together. So it's group thinking rather than owner mentality or owner thinking where I'm constantly making a decision on my own. So when we go back and say, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to get rid of this person because it's probably going to happen, truthfully. So it's not just me, it's not Derek, it's not the owner. I hope that long term we all four are making decisions together. These three people are the only three people in our company that have people under them besides me. And so I'm really hoping these people have more awareness, have more strength in leading their people as well inside of our company. So it's not just me being this person that's constantly trying to grow as a leader to lead others, but these three people are also implementing that into their own departments. So them growing as leaders to then grow other leaders in the company. Big thanks to Derek for hanging out with us. We always love to hear from you, the people. Well, when you think of turnarounds in American corporate history, I'm not sure there's a bigger turnaround or a more prolific story behind the Ford Motor Company turnaround. If you'll remember back, uh, there was a time when the government had to bail out and offered a bailout to all of the American car manufacturing companies. Ford said, no thanks, we got it. And that was because of Alan Mulally and his leadership. What an unbelievable turnaround in the culture of a massive, massive company. He stood on our stage today and shared many great stories that created a standing ovation because of his example as a leader. After Alan spoke, he took questions from the audience. People were lined up, as you can imagine, in the aisles. Here are a few of the questions from our attendees. My business question is, if I understand correctly, that you went to school for engineering? Yes. So I'm a medical practitioner that's working to move into more CEO positions and responsibilities and stuff like that. So I'm interested to know how you went from an aeronautical engineer and moved up into a CEO position, and what challenges, struggles, or successes you had through that process. Oh, fantastic. So I've never shared this before, this story, but I feel like I I need to to answer your question. So I I did start out as an engineer, and I wanted to be the best engineer that I possibly could be. And I loved engineering, I loved airplanes, I loved design. They said I was doing a really good job, and I was on all these design teams. And then they called me in one day, they said, we'd like you to be a, a supervisor. And I said, well, what does a supervisor do? And they said, well, we'll assign you really smart, bright engineers, and we'd like you to help them uh, get their work done. And I, and I thought, well, God, that's great. I just have to just create them in my image, and it'll be great. And so at the time, when, when you did engineering work, you uh, did your work, you had to document it. And at the time, we didn't have word processing, so you had these multiple carbon copies, and you have to grovel in front of the assistant that is typing in the front of the room for all the engineers. And so making a change was a big deal. So he'd bring in a change. And, of course, I had suggestions for improvement. Uh, So I'd give it to him. And uh, 14 revisions later of his documentation as my first first employee. You know how many millions of employees I've had since then? This is my first employee. He walks in. He puts the coordination sheet down in front of me. He said, now, uh, Alan, before you give me your suggestion for improvement, which I'm sure are going to be good, I'd like you to know that I'm quitting. And I go, you're quitting? Why are you quitting? He said, well, the first two or three suggestions were great, but we've really kind of passed the point of diminishing returns on this, and it's just driving me nuts. I said, so uh, do you really have to quit? He said, yep. And I said, do you have any suggestions for me going forward? He said, well, you might want to think about 
uh, what Boeing is asking you to do. Are they really asking you to do this? Or are they asking you to connect me with the bigger picture, what the vision is, what the strategy is, who the players are that I need to uh, network with? Do I have the right tools? In addition to make sure that I continue to improve technically. Now, do you know what a gem that was? It was a godsend to have your first employee, and not quit, that looks really bad on your resume. Um, But to find that out and have to think about that, have to deal with it from the very start. And so my thought to you is every step of the way, I had no idea. I never planned out a career where I was going to do this and that and that. All I know is do the very best you can do at what you've been asked to do. Network with everybody. Constantly ask everybody how you're doing and what you can do to do better. And it's all going to work out because people will do anything to have people like that on their team. Yes. Practically speaking, what steps did you take at Ford to help change the culture so that team members wanted to help each other succeed? That's a fantastic question and well stated. I know this is going to sound maybe not very complicated, but this business plan review is powerful and very few people do it where you have the entire team. Remember, everybody's represented on that team and you meet once a week. And every team member, starting with the CEO, summarizes where the company is and the areas need special attention. And the CEO is vulnerable to be able to share what the real situation is, which makes it all okay for everybody else to share with it. And so when you go around a room and every member presents the plan and the status, and they're being supported by doing that, and they consider the Reds to be gems, and besides that, you're going to be back together next week. You don't have to take action items anymore. All your other meetings are going to go away because people are just have all these meetings they go to, but they never have a meeting around the business once a week. So you'll reduce the meetings by half. And the most important thing that the CEO does is to hold themselves and the team accountable for following that process and following and agreeing to the expected behaviors, just like I have up here. And there's zero tolerance for violating either one. And the culture change will just accelerate. It doesn't make any difference if you have five people on your team or 20 members on your team. Everybody in the company will know what's going on because it'll flow up and down through your finance system, what the status is. And so now everybody knows what the plan, and now they're focused on that instead of the politics and all the things that are disruptive. Make sense? So, Alan, you, you come into Ford, it's obviously in trouble. You knew that walking in. And then yes. the economy really turned, so it, pro- it may have even got worse since you came in. It um, did. Obviously, the employee morale had to be bad. Employees had to be discouraged. There was obviously a disconnect between the executive team and the employees on the, in the factories. How much time did you spend focused on the mindset and the motivations of the team versus the X's and O's. I'm curious in a turnaround situation how you expend your energy there versus culture versus the X's and O's. Absolutely. And I would just maybe rephrase your question just a little bit uh, to get at your question. The most important thing, the most important contribution of a leader of any organization, small or bigger or large, is to hold themselves and their team accountable for a profitable growth plan. Because no one, and the process for doing that, the business plan review, for example, and the culture, those expected behaviors. Because that process that we've used, when you do that week in and week out, then it just creates the high performance culture and the safe one in addition to a healthy and a smart one. But the leader has to hold the team accountable for that. Because if they don't, who's going to do it? either the behaviors or the process or the results. And I would propose to you that when you commit 
your organization, your company, you're the CEO, and you commit that you're going to lead over and over again a profitable growth plan this year, next year. That's why go out a couple of years. It's going to happen to you fast. Just draw the bars up. Just draw the profits. Here's the forecast. And what's our plan on the revenue side to support that? And what's our plan on the efficiency side? And you'll put your actual on there, and it'll be that you'd be above or below the plan. Well, that's a gem. Don't beat anybody up. The fact that we aren't meeting the plan, and you'll make the decisions for the long term. See, now you can't cheat for this quarter or this year because you have to look further out. So I'll give you a good example. So for the first time, we could actually use aluminum in the F-Series truck, the most popular vehicle in the world for 47 years. And it's always been made out of steel. But the volume is such that we could get the cost to be very competitive, but we could get an 800-pound savings in weight. My, the, the customers would kill for that. I mean, the fuel economy goes with it, plus the direct fuel injection and turbocharging, the, the VAs go to sixes, and you get this phenomenal package that does everything everybody loves with a tremendous improvement in performance. Well, when you shut down a production line on the F-150, like what happened when they had their fire recently, and it's the most popular vehicle and most profitable vehicle in the whole stable, well, that's a big deal, right? So we took a hit for that year. We had to tell everybody we're going to be two billion, we're going to make two billion dollars less. But here's what we're going to why we're doing it. Well, we didn't take one hit on the stock price because what the analysts all want to know when they say when you listen to an analyst call and they say, "So, Mr. CEO, could you give us a little color on why you're doing what you're doing?" That's code for what is it going to happen in the out years. They don't care about right now. They want to know what you're doing. Is it going to create value in the out years? So when we told them, they didn't trash our stock. Matter of fact, stock went up because we told them what we're doing now to create value for the long term. Is that cool? And now, every to your point, everybody knows that. They're not wondering how it's going to go, but they actually know it. That's why you have to share every. It's a leap of faith to follow those principles. You can think it is. The alternative is that you're managing a secret. And that means everybody else is managing a secret. So tell them. Tell them what the plan is. Thank you. Yes. Hi, Alan. Um, my name is Marcus. I'm actually from Digital Marketer in Austin, Texas. And I, we are kind of going through a really, uh, on the executive team, kind of an experientially young executive team going through a growth season. And sure. so uh, with our maybe minimum complexity compared to Ford, uh, I'd love to know what numbers you looked at on an everyday basis as an executive, uh, because there's so many. I mean, we're if you read all these books, it's lag measures and lead measures. Oh, and perf- on, on measures? Correct, yeah. And There's only, to- only five or six. Okay, well, that's what I wanted to That's what you want to know? Five or six, yeah, but thank you. Okay, Keith. so let's think about that. So if your goal is PGA, profitable growth for all, meaning all the stakeholders, what would be the measures you'd look at? Are, are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> this is a little working together thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Money, profit, revenue. Okay, now uh, you can even back up a little bit and say, so uh, that measure, everything you're describing would be what the investors would look at, right? So that's good. So you'd look at maybe a measure or two for the investors. They actually are investing in your company. All they want is a reasonable return. And so how do they feel? How do they feel? How's it going? So who's another, another stakeholder you might want to have a measure for? Say it loudly. Give him a hand. I mean, you don't have to care what they think, but I would propose to you that it's really important what they think. 
And they need to know what the profit will go to. So what's, who's another stakeholder? The customer. What do you think? Okay. Who else? Uh, that, those are the three I had. So. Maybe. <laughs> maybe your suppliers. Suppliers, maybe. Yeah. Not in our business, but I get, yes. Yeah, but, but what if you pull everybody in? It's profitable growth for all. So just include all the stakeholders and what, how they think it's going. And when you can, because you can, use data. Every one of those things that you described, there's data that says how that's going. Is that cool? Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes? Uh, I read an article in Business Insider, and it had a quote in there from you saying it's an honor to serve. And regardless of running a for-profit, non-profit, you said it's an honor to serve. And I believe a lot of leaders seem to get it wrong. They believe that as the higher they go up, the more that they will be served. But I feel like you're um, kind of flipping that on its head. I'm, I'm curious just your thoughts in general on serving as being a part of leadership and just some practical things that you would do uh, on a day-to-day basis to serve your employees. I did say that. And I, learned it, I learned it from my mother. Uh, I was brainwashed growing up. Uh, we, didn't, we had very limited resources. We, I, I don't know whether we could call us poor, but we had very limited resources, but we had uh, lots of love from our mom and dad. And every morning, as I was going off to school, she'd remind me about the purpose of life. And she said, well, you remember what the purpose of life is, honey? And I said, well, yeah, I said, love and be loved. And then she said, now remember, in that order, okay, yes, I got that, thank you. Then she said, next day she said, well, you know, to serve is to really live. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, got that one. And then she say, uh, you know, it's nice to be important, but it is more important to be nice. Okay, got that one. I mean, I believe this stuff. Here's another diagram. Okay, ready? Okay, on this one, put a vertical line and put an arrow at the top facing up and put an arrow at the bottom facing down. Okay? Then across the middle of that, put a horizontal line and put an arrow pointing to the right on that line and then put an arrow on the left. Okay, so you got two arrows. And then on the left-hand side of the arrow, put I. And on the right-hand side of the arrow, put we. Good job. The bottom of the arrow going up and down, put me. Down, down, yeah, right there, right there, me. And then at the top of that arrow, put service. And then put a, a circle around the I. Put a circle around the we put a circle around the me, and put a circle around the service, and then put a circle around all of them. Now, think of what that means, because everybody in their life is somewhere on that horizontal axis, and they're somewhere on the vertical axis, right? And you can really usually tell. You'll never hear me say I. I mean, I can't even say I if I'm trying to say I, because it'll always come out we. It's not about me, it's about service. But here's the thing that you won't read in the textbooks, is what if on all your thinking you always touched on all of them? It's always going to be about I. It's always going to be about me. Let it go. I mean, of course it is. I'm, I'm a real-life person. I'm trying to move up Maslow's hierarchy. I'm trying to survive. But what happens if every time you thought about that, you did that in a context for the I part about what it meant for we? And what if in the context of the me part it was all about service? And so you just keep going back and forth and back and forth. And pretty soon you become one with us doing it together and one with service. And I'm going to benefit because of that. Yes, ma'am. 
Can you tell us about personal stress and how you managed it? Personal stress? Yes. Well, I don't do stress. So I can't really tell you about stress, but I'll tell you why I probably don't have stress. And that's because of these working together principles and practices. Can you imagine that if everybody knows everything about your, our business and everyone knows the status and the areas need special attention, then you've done, as a leader, you've done everything, everything you can do for this company, right? So what should you do at night? Stress or worry about it? No, you should go to sleep and get some sleep and come back and help. Just keep helping. All these things are going to happen. Like when we made that breakthrough at Ford, I knew we were going to be okay no matter what happened to us. If we wouldn't have made that breakthrough, we're never going to get Ford, save Ford. And so whether there were tsunamis in Asia Pacific where 70% of our production was underwater, whether it was GM and Chrysler going bankrupt, whether it was the U.S. economy going to the worst recession that Ben Bernanke and Hank Paulson thought could be worse than the Depression of 1929, we had done everything we possibly could do, right? So wake up the next day, get to the business plan review, see what the environment is, and then deal with it in a positive way. Not the way you wish it could be or want it to be, but this is the way it is and feel so good that you know that. That's why the reds are such gems. And then work together to turn the reds, yellows, and green and keep adapting to this rapidly changing world. And it's fun. My God, it's so much fun. Does that make sense? Okay. The last thing I, I just wanted to share with you, and it's where we started. Uh, I grew up with Dave and having limited resources, I was following the seven simple steps, baby steps, since I, but I didn't know what they were. And then when I found Dave, who was writing about it, that was like fantastic. But what he really did, and I shared with him this morning, is when he moved from the financial uh, advice and counsel to the leadership. And I think that's where he's going to continue to make an unbelievable difference. Uh, and it's the foundation of everything associated with the business. And so to be invited to be with fellow CEOs and leaders that are here to create value by profitably growing is absolutely a thrill for me. And I wish you the very best. It's not going to be the governments to save us. It's going to be the people in this room that manage and lead businesses that create value. So thank you very much. Well, we've already given you folks an unbelievable amount of Snickers bars in the form of excerpts from our speakers, Dave Ramsey, Chris Hogan, and Alan Mulally. But the Entree Leadership team, they're just like Santa Claus. They want to keep giving you stuff. So how about our Entree Leadership Summit swag bag? So it's only day one, but you're kind of feeling the FOMO. Now, I don't know what that is. I just learned it moments before we went live. It's fear of missing out. And uh, I get that. And so the team has put together an unbelievable offer. Big thanks to Will, the producer, and the Entree Leadership team. We're calling it the Summit Swag Bag. Uh, you're going to get an audio book of Entree Leadership, the number one best-selling book from Dave Ramsey. It's our playbook. And you're also going to get a download of the Summit Workbook. This is really cool. This is an amazingly valuable resource because it's the notes of all of our speakers' talks. So even though you aren't here, you're going to get the workbook digitally, and it has the answers for the blanks. It's like cheating but not getting in trouble. It's unbelievable. Why wouldn't you take us up on that? So here's how you get it. Text SUMMIT SHOW. That's one phrase, okay? SUMMIT, S-U-M-M-I-T, SHOW, no space. SUMMIT SHOW. Text that phrase to 33444. That's 33444. 
Wow, I cannot even believe it. It feels like the day just started. Not only is day one done, our day one podcast from San Antonio, Texas, Summit 2018 is almost over. So on behalf of Will, the producer, Eric and Chris, and our entire Entree Leadership team, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon.